Chapter 5, Part 3 of Explorers and Travelers by Adolphus W. Greeley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Tomko. Chapter 5, Captain Meriwether Lewis and Lieutenant William Clark, Part 3. On July 25th, Clark, who was in advance, reached the Three Forks of the Missouri, where he had to camp his party worn out, their feet full of prickly pear needles, and Chabonneau unable to go farther. The forks were all clear, pebbly streams, discharging large amounts of water. The southeast fork was named Gallatin, the middle Madison, and the southwest Jefferson, the latter two of equal size being larger branches than the Gallatin. At the three forks, Sacagawea, the wife of Chabonneau, was encamped five years before, when the Minnetaries of Knife River attacked the Snakes, killed about a dozen, and made prisoners of her and others of her tribe. Strangely enough, Chabonneau nearly lost his life crossing the Madison, where Clark saved him from drowning. Lewis was struck with the seeming indifference of the Snake Woman on her return to the spot and her own country. The party followed Jefferson River, their journey being marked by the killing of a panther seven and a half feet long, and the overturning of a canoe, injuring one of the party. Whitehouse, losing some articles, and wetting others, but the all-important powder was so well packed that it remained dry. Persuaded, says the narrative, of the necessity of securing horses to cross the mountains, it was determined that one of us should proceed till he found the Shoshones who could assist us in transporting our baggage captain lewis with three men preceded and on august eleventh saw with the greatest delight a man on horseback at the distance of two miles coming down the plain toward them on examining him with the glass captain lewis saw that he was armed with a bow and a quiver of arrows mounted on an elegant horse without a saddle and a small string attached to the under jaw answered as a bridle convinced that he was a shoshone and knowing how much of our success depended on the friendly offices of that nation captain lewis was full of anxiety to approach without alarming him and endeavor to convince him that he was a white man he therefore proceeded on towards the indian at his usual pace when they were within a mile of each other the indian suddenly stopped captain lewis immediately followed his example took his blanket from his knapsack and holding it with both hands at the four corners threw it above his head and unfolded it as he brought it to the ground as if in the act of spreading it this signal which originates in the act of spreading a robe or skin as a seat for guests to whom they wish to show a distinguished kindness is the universal sign of friendship among the indians on the missouri and rocky mountains Unfortunately, the brave took alarm at the movement of Lewis's companions and fled. The next day brought them to the headwaters of the Jefferson. Here, from the foot of one of the lowest of these mountains, which rises with a gentle ascent for about half a mile, issues the remotest water of the Missouri. They had now reached the hidden sources of that river, which had never yet been seen by civilized man and as they quenched their thirst at the chaste and icy fountain as they sat down by the brink of that little rivulet which yielded its distant and modest tribute to the parent ocean they felt themselves rewarded for all their labors and all their difficulties pushing on they soon saw to the west high snow-topped mountains the ridge on which they stood formed the dividing line between the waters of the atlantic and pacific oceans
They followed a descent much steeper than that on the eastern side, and at the distance of three-quarters of a mile reached a handsome, bold creek of cold, clear water running to the westward. They stopped to taste for the first time the waters of the Columbia, and after a few minutes followed the road across steep hills and low hollows till they reached a spring on the side of a mountain. Here they found a sufficient quantity of dry willow brush for fuel, and therefore halted for the night and having killed nothing in the course of the day supped on their last piece of pork and trusted to fortune for some other food to mix with a little flour and parched meal which was all that now remained of their provisions in the early morn of august thirteenth lewis hastened impatiently forward without food and after a few hours of travel saw three indians but they fled a little later he surprised three women and succeeded in reaching two who covered their heads and awaited in silence their expected death showing them that he was a white man and giving them trinkets they were reassured and recalled their comrade when he painted their cheeks with vermilion a shoshone custom emblematic of peace the women pointed out the direction of camp and lewis marching on soon saw a band of sixty well-mounted indian warriors riding full speed toward him and his two companions with perfect composure and undaunted courage lewis laid down his rifle and alone marched forward to parley with this horde of unknown savages relying on the integrity and uprightness of his mission received with the greatest cordiality lewis at once smoked a pipe of peace with them and after giving them some blue beads and vermilion went to their camp on arrival he was inducted into a council lodge and seated on a robe when a fire was kindled the chief then produced his pipe and tobacco the warriors pulled off their moccasins and our party were requested to take off their own this being done, the chief lighted his pipe at the fire within the magic circle, and then, retreating from it, began a speech several minutes long, at the end of which he pointed the stem toward the four cardinal points of the heavens, beginning with the east and concluding with the north. By this time the day was well spent, and no food of any kind had passed the lips of Lewis and his men since the previous day on learning this the chief told him that they only had cakes made of sun-dried service and choked berries which served as a hearty meal to the hungry men later an indian gave lewis a piece of antelope and a bit of salmon which satisfied him that he was now on the waters of the columbia the next day they had an experience of the indian mode of hunting which is thus described the chief game of the shoshones is the antelope which when pursued retreats to the open plains where the horses have full room for the chase but such is its extraordinary fleetness and wind that a single horse has no chance of outrunning it or tiring it down and the hunters are therefore obliged to resort to stratagem about twenty indians mounted on fine horses and armed with bows and arrows left camp in a short time they descried a herd of antelopes they immediately separated into little squads of two or three and formed a scattered circle round the herd for five or six miles keeping at a wary distance so as not to alarm them till they were perfectly enclosed and usually selecting some commanding eminence as a stand having gained their positions a small party rode toward the herd and with wonderful dexterity the huntsman preserved his seat and the horse his footing as he ran at full speed over the hills and down the steep ravines and along the borders of the precipices they were soon outstripped by the antelopes which on gaining the other extremity of the circle were driven back and pursued by the fresh hunters 
They turned and flew, rather than ran, in another direction, but there, too, they found new enemies. In this way, they were alternately pursued backward and forward, till at length, notwithstanding the skill of the hunters, they all escaped, and the party, after running for two hours, returned without having caught anything, and their horses foaming with sweat. This chase, the greatest part of which was seen from the camp, formed a beautiful scene, but to the hunters is exceedingly laborious, and so unproductive, even when they are able to worry the animal down and shoot him, that forty or fifty hunters will sometimes be engaged for half a day without obtaining more than two or three antelopes. Captain Lewis succeeded with great difficulty in persuading the band of Shoshones to pass over the divide in order to assist in bringing his impedimenta across. The presence of a Shoshone woman, the monstrosity of a man entirely black, favorable barter for their horses were urged. In short, he played on their avarice, curiosity, tribal pride, and by questioning their courage succeeded in stimulating them to make the journey. It transpired that Kamawait, the Shoshone chief, was the brother of Sacagawea, and one of the Shoshone women, now in camp, had been for some time prisoner with her in the hands of the Minnetaries. The meeting of these Indians after long separation disclosed such emotion as proved their tender feelings and genuine interest in each other. A long and tedious council was held, with the usual smoke and speeches. Lewis set forth in lively terms the strength of the government, the advantages of trade, and the importance of hastening the day of firearms and supplies by facilitating the journey. Meanwhile, they were amused, as the Indian must be, by the queer negro, the sagacious and well-trained dog, the rifles, the air-gun, clothing, canoes, etc. All game brought in was divided. The Indians feasted on hulled corn, and presents were liberally distributed. The goodwill of the Shoshones was finally secured, and four horses purchased by barter, so that Lewis was to send Clark ahead to reconnoiter the route along the Columbia and build canoes, if possible, which the Indians declared to be impracticable, as timber was wanting and the river and mountains impassable. They said that for seven days the route lay over steep rocky mountains, with no game and only roots for food then for ten days an arid, sandy desert, where men and horses would perish for want of food and water. On inquiry, Clark learned that Nez Perces came from the west by a very bad road towards the north, where they suffered excessively from hunger and travel. Believing that difficulties surmountable to Indians with women and children could not be formidable, Clark pushed on with a guide, but soon found that the Indian accounts had not been exaggerated, as he fell in with the points of four mountains which were rocky and so high that it seemed almost impossible to cross them with horses. The road lay over sharp fragments of broken rock which had fallen from the mountains and were strewed in heaps for miles together. Occasionally, he met small parties of Indians who, in wretched plight themselves, yet acted most generously, giving him, as he says, willingly, what little they possessed, which was usually a few dried berries and a bit of salmon, never enough to entirely appease the hunger of his famished men. Clark says, Our men, who are used to hardships, would have been accustomed to have the first wants of nature regularly supplied, feel very sensibly their wretched situation their strength is wasting away. They begin to express an appreciation of being without food in a country perfectly destitute of any means of supporting life. 
except a few fish. Clark's exploration showed that it was impossible to follow the river, to which he gave the name of Lewis, as he was the first white man to visit its waters, either by canoe or along its banks on horses. The mountains were one barren surface of broken masses of rock which crowded into the river, where the stream presented either continuous rapids or series of shoals. Meanwhile, Lewis moved his necessary baggage to the Shoshone village, previously caching his surplus baggage and sinking his canoes for safety. As a rule, the Indians were most friendly, but during a hunting expedition, a young brave snatched up his rifle and made off with it. Druyer pursued him ten miles, and overtaking the women of the party, watched his opportunity and, seeing the Indian off his guard, galloped up to him and seized his rifle. The Indian struggled for some time, but finding Druyer getting too strong for him, had the presence of mind to open the pan and let the priming fall out, and then let go his hold, and, giving his horse the whip, escaped at full speed, leaving the women at the mercy of the conqueror. Considerable time was spent in making needful preparations for crossing the mountains, and in negotiating for horses, of which they obtained twenty-nine young, vigorous animals, though in poor flesh and with sore backs. This necessary delay gave Lewis ample opportunity to observe the habits and modes of life of the Shoshones, which are especially interesting as the record of an Indian tribe before it had come in contact with the white men. The Shoshones, or snakes, who here number four hundred souls, lived a migratory, wretched existence, seeking at one season the salmon of Lewis River, at another the buffalo of the upper Missouri, and again in the mountains barely maintaining life on roots. They were, however, gay, frank, fair-dealing, honest, fond of ornaments, amusements, and games of chance, kind and obliging, and somewhat given to boasting of their warlike exploits. The narrative continues. The mass of females are condemned, as among all savage nations, to the lowest and most laborious drudgery. When the tribe is stationary, they collect the roots and cook. They build the huts, dress the skins, and make clothing, collect the wood, and assist in taking care of the horses on the route. They load the horses and have charge of all the baggage. The only business of the man is to fight. He therefore takes on himself the care of his horse, the companion of his warfare, but he will descend to no other labor than to hunt and to fish. Their inferior arms put them at the mercy of the Minotaries of Knife River, who mercilessly stole their horses and killed their braves. They seemed an adventurous and courageous people, and Kamea waits vehement declaration that, with guns, they would never fear to meet their enemies, did not seem boastful. Their common arms are bow and arrow shield, lance, and a weapon called by the Chippeways, by whom it was formerly used, the Pogamogan. Their method of producing fire was by an arrow and a dry prepared stick, which, being rubbed together vigorously and dexterously for a few minutes, first creates a fine dust, then bursts speedily into flame. The great wealth of the tribe consists in large numbers of small, wiry, and hardy horses, capable of great endurance, sure-footed and fleet. They were second in value to the women alone, who carried the baggage when horses failed. The Shoshones were well-dressed, with shirts, leggings, and moccasins of dressed deer, antelope, etc., skins. 
A robe with the hair on served as a cloak or as a bed covering. The shirts were ornamented with porcupine quills of different colors and sometimes by beads. Also the moccasins. Elaborate tippets of elegant pattern were also worn, made of otter and fringed with many ermine skins. Also collars of various kinds of seashells, of the sweet-scented grass, of tusks of the elk, and of the claws of the grizzly bear. The names of the Indians vary in the course of their life. Originally given in childhood from the mere necessity of distinguishing objects, or from some accidental resemblance to external objects, the young warrior is impatient to change it by something of his own achievement. Any important event, the stealing of a horse, the scalping of an enemy, or killing a brown bear, entitles him at once to a new name, which he then selects for himself, and it is confirmed by the nation. Everything ready, Lewis started on August 27, 1805, with 29 pack horses to follow Berry Creek and pass over the mountains to Indian establishments on another branch of the Columbia. In many places, a road had to be cut, and even then was barely practicable. Sure-footed as is the Indian pony, yet all of the horses were very much injured in passing over the steep rocky ridges. The way was so rough that the horses fell repeatedly down the hillsides, often capsizing with their load, and occasionally one was crippled and disabled. The journey was made yet more disagreeable by a fall of snow and by severe freezing weather, but the spirit of the party is shown by the mention of a serious misfortune, the last of our thermometers being broken. On September 6th, however, they were safely beyond the mountain in a wide valley at the head of Clark's Fork of the Columbia, where they met about 400 Utashutes, who received them kindly and gave to them of their only food, berries and roots. Following the river, they reached Traveler's Rest Creek, where they stopped for hunting, as they were told the country before them had no game for a great distance. Game proved to be so scanty that they moved onward, crossing to the Kuskuski, where, being without animal food, they killed a colt for supper. Snow fell again, which would not have been so uncomfortable had not their road fallen along steep hillsides, obstructed with dead timber, were not covered with living trees, from which the snow fell on them as they passed, keeping them continually wet while the weather was freezing. The road continued difficult. Game was wanting, and as they marched, they killed one after another of their colts for food. Their horses were becoming rapidly disabled. The allowance of food scarcely sufficed to check their hunger. While the extreme bodily fatigue of the march and the dreary prospects before them began to dispirit the men. Lewis, appreciating the gravity of the situation, sent Clark ahead with six hunters, who the next day was fortunate enough to kill a horse on which his party breakfasted, and left the rest for the main expedition. The country continued rugged, and in some places the only road was a narrow rocky path at the edge of very high precipices. One of their horses, slipping, rolled a hundred feet over and over down a nearly perpendicular hill strewed with large rocks. All expected he was killed, but he proved to be little injured. Their enforced fasting visibly affected the health of the party, all lost flesh, grew weak, and were troubled with skin eruptions, while several were more seriously ill. On September 20th, Clark reached a village of the Chopunish, or Nez Perses, in a beautiful level valley, where he was kindly received and well fed. Fish, 
roots and berries were also obtained which sent to lewis reached him eight miles out of the village at a time when his party had been without food for more than a day when the village was reached the party was in a deplorable condition through long fasting and the exhausting fatigue of the march purchasing from the indians as much provisions as their weakened horses could carry they moved on to the forks of the snake where the party slowly recruited its health and strength they killed a horse for the sick while the party in general lived on dried fish and roots the latter causing violent pains in the stomach five canoes were made and as the men were weak they adopted the indian method of burning them out the twelfth day saw their canoes finished and loaded for the final journey which was to lead them to the sea lewis cached his saddles the extra powder and ball and branding his remaining horses delivered them to three indians the principal named twisted hair who agreed to take good care of them till the return of the party when additional presents were to be given for this service their troubles now seemed to be over and they were congratulating themselves on their safe progress when they struck a series of fifteen rapids when passing the last sergeant gas's canoe struck and a hole being made in her side she immediately filled and sank several men who could not swim clung to the boat until one of our canoes could be unloaded and with the assistance of an indian boat they were all brought ashore all the goods were so much wetted that we were obliged to halt for the night and spread them out to dry while all this was exhibited it was necessary to place two sentinels over the merchandise for we found that the indians though kind and disposed to give us aid during our distress could not resist the temptation of pilfering small articles the snake river was in general very beautiful but it was filled with rapids most of them difficult and one strewed with rocks most hazardous food failing except fish and roots they concluded probably at the suggestion of the frenchmen to change their diet and being again reduced to fish and roots made an experiment to vary their food by purchasing a few dogs and after having been accustomed to horse-flesh felt no disrelish to this new dish the chopunish have great numbers of dogs which they employ for domestic purposes but never eat and the practice of using the flesh of that animal soon brought the explorers into ridicule as dog-eaters fortunately however says clark the habit of using this animal has completely overcome the repugnance which we felt at first and the dog if not a favorite dish is always an acceptable one elsewhere he adds having been so long accustomed to live on the flesh of dogs the greater part of us had acquired a fondness for it and our original aversion for it is overcome by reflecting that on that food we were stronger and in better health than at any period since leaving the buffalo country End of chapter 5, part 3 Recording by William Tomko